This is the cold open. Welcome to the cold open. <laughs> what was what was I go what was I thinking of complaining about earlier? There's something something going on right now that I was like want to complain about that. Okay. Is it movie like, related or something? Yeah, it was movie related, but I can't think of what it is now. Mm. It's something that just happened. Casting. Something, something that was relevant. Maybe a casting. Something that was relevant to something we talked about a week or two ago. Oh, uh, the Gentle Minions. Oh, the Gentle Minions. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of, of talking about that. And not specifically the gentle minions themselves, but what havoc they have wrecked. That is specific to our podcast. Okay. Yeah, that's that's true. They have. So what is uh, specific to our podcast? They are now, the Minions Rise of Gru is now the highest grossing July 4th release. Of all time. Oh my god. Yeah, Paul's right. They said that on the news. <laughs> but it will never be it'll never be Minions Weekend on this podcast. It'll no. always be Big Willy Weekend. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Are they gonna factor in? I saw it's like the most refunded weekend ever too, or something like that, because people were <laughs> getting their money back because these quote unquote gentle minions were <laughs> getting havoc. turned away, yeah. <sighs> Social right. media trends are weird. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It, it And when they were talking about throwing stuff at the screen, it made me think of, like, I remember seeing Happy Feet uh, some years back, and there were some idiot kids just throwing their shoes around and just being jackholes. Because uh, <laughs> their feet were too happy for their Their feet shoes. were too happy. <laughs> That's you can't funny, contain Zach. them anymore. <laughs> oh, I wish that had made the podcast. Talk about this is the cold open. Yeah, oh, we're, great. We're, we're recording. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Just take it from when I said uh, this is the cold open. Welcome to the cold open earlier in this conversation. And uh, we'll go from there. And you yeah. can leave that note in too if you want. I don't give a shit. Trav, you can do whatever you want, yeah. buddy. You can do whatever you like and have some pie too. Yeah. yeah free pie at VI. Trav's probably real close to a VI. There's a, there's a few of them on the south side. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. So he'll know. Yeah, because I know there's one, not Lynn Haven. What's the other mall in Virginia Beach? Oh, it's been so long since I. Is it Greenbrier? Where's Greenbrier? No, oh, Greenbrier's over in Chesapeake, and that's okay. on. I, I don't. I don't even know why I brought it up. Where's Sandler <laughs> Center? What, what's that area called? Uh, city, like around ODU kind of stuff. City Center. Oh, okay. Or whatever it's called in. Virginia Beach. I don't know. I don't hang out in Virginia Beach as much as yeah. I did when I was okay. a kid. Um, wherever Sandler Center is over there, there's a there's a village in like a couple blocks from it. Sweet. When we went to Virginia, um, Shoney's was a huge, enormous treat. <laughs> Shoney's. <laughs> they finally got rid of the Shoney's here in Newport News a few years ago. Uh, oh. Now it's a car wash. Ah. <laughs> Well, that's okay, because me and my little league went to Old Country Buffet. Well, you can't go wrong with OCB. They used to have <laughs> the most delicious cherry cobbler when we had the one in Moline. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, 
I, I think we've let's talk to stuff ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> the buffet. Let's talk about a movie. Talk about a movie. Hello, you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Zach McCoy. I'm Greg O'Neill. And we are your Oscar Grouches, and welcome back to the Oscaristy Podcast, uh, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong. And what are we watching this week, Zach? This week, we're watching Argo, Canada, Hollywood, and the CIA team up to save some Americans during the Iran hostage crisis. All right, America, Canada, and the CIA. This is my Avengers. <laughs> okay, is it because the is. Avengers came out this year? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> I will be discussing that later. Is this everybody's first time seeing Argo? Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, actually. Wow. Okay. I know. How about you, Greg? No, well, here's the thing. I uh, I went and bought a copy on DVD at the Kmart down the hill from my house in Rock Island, like two or three nights after the Oscars. Uh, so I actually did watch it like nine years ago. Watched it again on Netflix today, and there, I might be crazy. Maybe it's just the Omeprazole taking away my long-term memory, but I could have sworn that the end credits had um, – Dream On by Aerosmith the first time I saw it. And then when I watched it on Netflix again today, it was something completely different. I watched it on DVD, and I don't remember Dream On being there. I just There was some music, and then Jimmy Carter came on partway through the credits. Right, right. Huh. Noticed that. So again, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm confusing it with Disney's Miracle, which also I was going to say Miracle. This is the film yeah. I could think of that had that in it. Yeah, um, and maybe I just conflated the two because both are set between 1979 and 1980 and are a critical point in U.S. history that gave us something to cheer about. It's funny. I'd, I'd found this a DVD copy at a thrift store many years ago, but for some reason I just hadn't watched it yet. I was waiting for this podcast. It was a, a, a worthy reason, and uh, since I didn't go, no for me, uh, I saw this in the movie theater. Good for you, uh, Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into an Oscar breakdown. Break it, down. Uh, it is a chase-filled February 24th, 2013. Have moved from the Hollywood and Highland Center Theater to the Dolby. Is this the first time we've had three theaters in three years? I think so. So, uh, so yeah, Dolby Theater, Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. And if I'm wow. not mistaken, I don't think they've moved from there since. But we will find out in the coming episodes. Okay. All right. Our host for this evening, and I meant to find, I have the poster for this Oscars because a friend of mine was working at the Regal and got me a set of posters for the Best Picture nominees. Uh, And the poster here is just the host, Seth MacFarlane. Yep. Holding a silhouette of an Oscar. I, I vaguely remember the promo commercials. It was him saying, hi, I'm Seth MacFarlane. Ask your kids. And I'll be hosting the Oscars. Ask your parents. <laughs> yep. Yep. Seth, 
Seth MacFarlane decides to do a whole song about seeing women's boobs in the Oscars. It was weird. All right. Our most nominated film on the evening is Steven Spielberg's Lincoln at 12. Oh, wow. And our most awarded film on the evening is Life of Pi at four. Four. This is a real spread the love around Oscar year. It is. Yeah, it it. Paul, you're right. I remember watching it and thinking, you know what? This could go one of three or four or five ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll get into what what we were all rooting for a little later in the pod. Argo wins Best Picture, giving Grant Heslov, Ben Affleck, and George Clooney Academy Awards. Ah. mm -hmm. So this is George and Ben's second Oscar apiece. And it is Grant's first, I believe. I always like how Grant Heslov turns up in a cameo in George Clooney nominated or George Clooney directed movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's He's got a funny face. I wish he'd act more. Yeah. I I really liked him in True Lies. Mm. All right. Argo beats Amor, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln. Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. This is still too many fucking movies. (laughs) They decided to trim one off and give you nine. That's odd. Yeah, they they did nine last year, too. And, yeah, I'm going to try and read your mind, Paul. Um, You're a Wes Anderson fan. That's right. Did you feel that Moonrise Kingdom got snubbed? Yes, I did. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom deserved to be a lot more in here. And if Jonathan were here, he'd say the same. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our best director goes to Ang Lee for Life of Pi. A film I feel is one of the four good uses of 3D in the history of film. Correct. You reminded me of that last week. Indeed, I did. Did see Life of Pi on the big screen in 3D. It was so worth it. Uh, it, it really was. Uh, and Ben Affleck is not nominated for Best Director. Hmm. Caused quite a stir, making this the fourth film to win Best, Pe- Best D- Picture without being nominated for Director. Uh, along with Wings, Grand Hotel, and Driving Miss Daisy, the film that directed itself. Right. <laughs> now, I'm, I don't mean to derail us for a second. Had he been nominated for any gone baby gone or the town or anything or no never never nominated nope i i believe his best picture nomination is only his second nomination ever along with his writing for along with his writing for goodwill hunting okay paul i think you're right because the closest you would have come like like zach said would have been gone baby gone but that was mainly amy ryan in the oscar race that year Mm -hmm. and then hollywood land he got like a golden globe but uh yeah that checks out. Not since Goodwill Hunting. Yes, he has only been nominated twice, and he has won both the Oscars he was nominated for. Well, there you go. Two for two. Two-time Academy Award winner, Batman. <laughs> All right, best actor goes to Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln. Ben Affleck still not nominated. Best actress goes to Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook, beating out, <laughs> beating out. The person who should have won, Quavajane Wallace, for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm. 
the best performance of 2012. Uh, best Supporting Actor goes to Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained, making that the second Oscar he's won in the supporting category for a Tarantino film. Yep, and as the memes like to say, one a racist and one an anti-racist. Yep, just flipping the script. And he takes that award from Alan Arkin, nominated for Argo. Mm. John Goodman, snubbed. Don't get me started. I'll derail the podcast. Please keep going. We'll we'll give you a chance to to derail okay. the podcast a little Hold bit. Hold that later. thought. Uh, best supporting actress goes to Anne Hathaway for Les Misérables. Hmm. Uh, giving giving two Batman and a Catwoman an Academy Award on the evening. <laughs> oh, you're right. It's Clooney. <laughs> yep. That's funny. Any other bat people nominated right now? <laughs> oh, there's uh, Joaquin Phoenix, if you want to count his Joker, I guess. Mm. Well, I mean, that is the, the role he borrowed from, right? Yeah. All right, moving on. Best original screenplay goes to Django Unchained, giving Quentin Tarantino an Academy Award. Best adapted screenplay goes to Argo giving Chris Terrio an Academy Award. Uh, Chris Terrio would go on to ruin Star Star Wars for everyone by co-writing uh, Episode Nine, ah, which we debated at a village in the one at Super Target <laughs> after my friends and I saw it. Very nice. <laughs> uh, best animated feature film goes to Brave. Uh, best foreign language film goes to Amor. <laughs> From Austria, which was only the fourth film in the history of the Academy Awards to be nominated for Best Picture and a foreign language film. Yeah, that's right. It's difficult when you get nominated for foreign film to also get picture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We'll discuss that in a few weeks. All right. Best documentary goes to Searching for Sugar Man. Oh, yeah. It's a great documentary. I have not seen it. Oh, check that one out. Okay. Uh, best documentary short subject goes to Innocente. Best live action short film goes to Curfew. Best animated short film goes to Paper Man, which I believe was the short that was on the front of Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, yeah. That's a sweet one. That's oh, I liked Paper Man. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Best original score goes to Life of Pi, giving Michael Dana an Academy Award. Also, Beautiful. John Williams Oscar watch. John Williams nominated for Lincoln. There you go, John. But he and Alexandre Desplat for Argo both lose. Mm-hmm. Best original song goes to Skyfall from Skyfall being the first James Bond theme to win the award really the first that seems so odd now looking at it from today <laughs> yeah that's yeah. right yeah and that was adele singing that one that was adele yeah yeah paul's paul's absolutely right I... and speaking of nora jones everybody needs a best friend from ted is nominated interesting uh giving seth mcfarlane an academy award nomination all right best sound editing is a tie what what between Skyfall and Zero Dark Thirty. I, I forgot there was a tie. Yeah. Uh, they both beat Argo. Yeah. 
Uh, the sound mixing goes to Les Miserables. Beating out Argo. Mm. Best production design goes to Lincoln. Lincoln Logs. Lincoln Logs. Oh my. Best cinematography goes to Life of Pi. Well deserved. Giving Claudio Miranda an Academy Award. Uh, Robert Richardson, the longtime Scorsese DP, nominated for Django Unchained. Oh, nice. Uh, Seamus McGarvey, Janusz Kaminski, and Roger Deakins round out this category because why wouldn't the three of them be here? <laughs> uh, let's see. What did Deakins do this year? Uh, Skyfall. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh God, it's the most beautiful looking Bond film. It, yeah, it is. It, it. Uh, I mean, yes, every Bond film is going to go to exotic locales, but uh, like Paul said, this one did a really good job of capturing like james bond on a on top of a train in a in a fight while money penny has to choose when to the moment to fire the gun uh yeah it, it was really beautifully shot cool yeah all right best makeup and hairstyling goes to le Mise blah 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 best costume design goes to anna karenina anna karenina le, le Mise blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> and so on and so forth uh, best film editing goes to Argo. Nice. I can I can vouch for that. And best visual effects goes to Life of Pi. Oh, definitely. Yup. Honorary awards. Hal Needham, an innovator, mentor, and master technician who elevated his craft to an art and made the impossible look easy. To D.A. Pennebaker who redefined the language of film and taught a generation of filmmakers to look reality to reality for inspiration. Nice. And for George Stevens Jr., a tireless champion of the arts in America, and especially that most American of arts, a Hollywood film. And we have a Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award this evening. Hooray! Going to Jeffrey Katzenberg. Ooh. Co-founder of DreamWorks Studios, who has led our community in enlightened philanthropy by his extraordinary example. Now, I promised last week I would go a little more into Douglas Trumbull, who won the Courtney Sawyer Award in 2011. So, okay, I went and looked into him a bit. Born in Los Angeles, California in 1942, was the son of an aerospace engineer who briefly worked in Hollywood creating visual effects for the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz. Wow. Right? (laughs) Uh, So, uh, in the 1960s, he started work uh, at a graphic films in Los Angeles, a small animation and graphic art studio, where he produced a film called To the Moon and Beyond about about space flight, for the 1964 New York World's Fair. Uh, and apparently, this film, To the Moon and Beyond, caught the attention of a, a director you might know by the name of Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. who said, hey, I like what you did there. Come do this movie I'm working on called 2001 A Space Odyssey. Sweet. So, uh... So 2001 A Space Odyssey happens, and then Kubrick fakes the moon landing. <laughs> Good job, Douglas Trumbull. Good Thank job. you, Dun- Douglas Trumbull. Your nation thanks you. 
Um, so it says here that Trumple's responsibilities and talents grew as the production continued and he became one of four special effects supervisors on the film. The others were fellow graphic film alumnus Con Peterson, along with Tom Howard and Wally Viviers. Trumple's most memorable contribution was the development of the slit scan photography process used in the Stargate sequence. Oh, we're going to jump around a little bit because I don't want to, I didn't don't want to spend too much more time. Uh, so he ended up working on the Andromeda strain. Ooh, Michael Crichton. Yep. And apparently Robert Wise and Michael Crichton, very much impressed by the work he did on that film. Excellent. And Trumbull's participation success on Andromeda helped set him up to direct the 1971 film, Silent Running, which was uh, based on a script of his own treatment. Cool. Uh, Bruce Dern, apparently, in that movie. Okay. Uh, Silent Running was produced by Universal on a shoestring budget of $1 million, one-tenth of the budget of 2001. The film used a number of special effects techniques that Trumbull had helped develop. The spacecraft interiors were shot aboard a motherballed aircraft carrier, which lent its name to the movie spacecraft Valley Forge. Trumbull was not originally slated to direct, but as the start of the project loomed, he became the obvious choice. Other newcomers included the script writing team of Derek Washburn and Michael Cimino, mm. who would later collaborate on The Deer Hunter. Oh. In 1975, Trumbull said no to another director you might know the name of, of George Lucas. Uh, when he, George Lucas came knocking and said, hey, I want you to work on this little film I'm doing called Star Wars. Hmm. Trumbull said, no, thank you. I'm already working on something. That something he was working on was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, well. <laughs> I was th I'm thankful that it wasn't something that totally dropped out of sight. It, if you're going to give up stars for Close Encounters, at least it's the yeah. next nice. sci-fi movie of 1977. Lateral movement right there. <laughs> Oh, no, I can't work on your masterpiece. I'm busy working on another masterpiece. <laughs> uh, it says that Trumbull's future, future General Corporation, a research special effects house that was funded by Gulf and Western and Paramount Pictures, was offered the job to produce a special effects for Star Trek, the motion picture. But... Uh, Trumbull, already deeply involved in Close Encounters, refused, wanting instead to focus his efforts on his patented show scan process, a high-speed, large-format movie process that provided unprecedented visual clarity. Ooh. Mm. All right. So, uh, essentially, he ends up not working on Star Trek The Motion Picture either. He goes uh, using his show scan stuff. He was uh, picked to do Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, uh, which I believe he didn't complete uh, all the work on. David Dreyer took over special effects after he left the film. Uh, brain, and he, leaving the film, has agreed about halfway to concentrate on the pre-production of his next directing effort, Brainstorm. Story of two brilliant scientists who develop revolutionary device to record and vicariously experience other people's feelings and perceptions device the military tries to steal for its own purposes 
and uh, Brainstorm was going to be the showcase of his show scan process, which used special cameras and projectors to capture and project 70 millimeter film at 60 frames per second. Wow. So he was pushing high frame rate back in the early 80s. Wild. And speaking of which, we get the 48 frames per second uh, Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey in 2012. So (laughs) That's right. But just picking up where he left off. Eventually, he ends up really beaten down and battered by the way that Hollywood treats him. Mm. And he's like, fuck Hollywood, I'm out of here. Uh, he leaves Hollywood and decides instead of working on movies, he's going to work on, he instead develops new technology for movie production and for the exhibition industry and theme park rides, such as back to the future, the ride. Uh, he also was briefly vice chairman of IMAX corporation and president of its ride film division. Um, he, he just continues on like pushing new new patents and ways to shoot film in 2010 apparently he came up with something to help with the uh the bp oil spill oh wow like a vacuum seal but bp never called him about it jerks um jerks after 30 years away from hollywood he comes back and works on terrence malick's the tree of life oh yeah okay um, in March 2011, director James Cameron announced plans to film his next Avatar Type 3D feature and digital version of ShowScan. Cameron has been pushing for movie theaters to adopt higher frame rates to maintain the 3D effect during scenes involving high-speed motion. Uh, so he's got a Cameron on his side. Uh, Trumbull, apparently in 2018, provided the visual effects for and executive produced the movie The Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. <laughs> which uh, stars um, the one that just got in trouble for talking shit about Jane Campion. Oh, oh Sam, Sam Elliott. Elliot. Sam Elliott. Yeah. Thank you. I went right to the dark zone. <laughs> All right. Um, so a couple of other honors that he receives, he was inducted into the science fiction hall of fame in 2010, citing first his stature as innovative master of special effects. He was nominated for three Academy Awards and has received American Society of Cinematographers Lifetime Achievement Award. He was twice honored by the Society of Motion Pictures and Television Engineers. Uh, He received the International Press Academy's Tesla Award in December 2011, named after Nikola Tesla, an inventor, scientist, and engineer who Trumbull noted dryly in a runaway interview, died penniless after lots of people took credit for his work. Ooh. He went on to say that he hopes he, it doesn't turn out that way for him. <laughs> uh, he gets the, the Courtney Sawyer Award, and uh, he also picks up the Georges Milliers Award for Visual Effects Society in the same month. I'm really upset that I didn't look into him more because that would have been very nice to bring up last week when we were covering Hugo on Thursday. Well, just slightly delayed. Indeed. So, uh, he would die uh, early this earlier this year, February seventh, twenty twenty-two, at the age of seventy-nine from mesothelioma. Shit. R.I.P. Douglas Trumbull, hero to all. 
Indeed. Wow. What a track record. Yeah. Yeah, it's either in or very close to some big projects. And, you know, I'm glad he came back for Tree of Life, even if other people don't like it. I It's got a lot of interesting visual stuff going on. So good for hey, him. I can't knock it in that category. It is very visually striking, which is the only reason I don't rank it near the bottom of my Terrence Malick pile. There you go. So let's talk about this movie. This movie. What do we think about Argo? Um, the first time I watched it, like I said, it was a couple of days after the Oscars in like February of 2013. Um, at that point, it was an exciting, it was an exciting adventure in historical drama movie. Um, since January 6, 2021, it's become more of a nerve-wracking watch. I noticed rewatching it today. Uh, <laughs> that it that established it's aged well, uh, and I think it will inform the forthcoming Hollywood film whenever it's made about January 6th and it will serve as a lesson and it does serve as a lesson on herd mentality intolerance and extremism um but yeah it it definitely brought me back to like 1-6 2021 watching it yeah Mm. I could see that I hear you yeah I uh I liked it a lot it was uh very tight and tense and um a nice kind of classic sort of thriller, um, you know, adapted to obviously a historical point and the, you know, it's a story I didn't know a whole lot about. So I was, I was glad to learn about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're right, Zach. We only got as far as world war two in us history in high school. So <laughs> this was fairly near recent history. You know, people, you know, talk about the hostage uh, crisis and how, you know, Reagan sweeped in and was apparently a stronger personality. And a lot of this the economic crisis and um, the hostages kind of derailed any chance Carter had on getting reelected. And yeah, they, they this one really, <laughs> really hanged Carter out. Yeah. But, you know, I'd, I'd never heard about this until the movie came out. Like I didn't know this was a thing, and I mean, no, I mean, it, it was it was probably classified behind classified documents for like thirty or so years. And yeah, the fact that it, yeah, twenty something years. Like, yeah, I forget what in the credits they said. Like, I don't know, was it the I late nineties like, or? Yeah, you're right, yeah. Zach. It was it was Clinton that declassified yeah. it. And it's just it's it's such a small part of such a larger event that it's easy to get kind of swept under the rug. So it's, it's nice that it was at least brought to our attention. Right. It is, it is uh mind boggling to think about 400, was it 444 days of a hostage situation? Yeah. 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 And, and these folks were, you know, only six months of it. Right. Or not even, it, it was like, uh, from it was like January 27, 1980, and November 4th, 79 was when it started. So it would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 days. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. What they hold on to those hostages up until after the elect, the American election. Yeah. yeah. The inauguration, like yeah. the day after them. I'd, I'd be very interested to see a movie about the hostages kept at the U.S. consulate in Tehran. I think. 
Um, and those are really interesting B-plot moments in Argo when it swung to Meanwhile at the consulate. And I thought, okay, well, I'd watch a longer version of Argo if you could have more time showing their plight at the consulate. Yeah. Also like to see a film about the Republican, the American Republicans involvement with the actual taking of the hostages. Cause all that timeline is really fishy. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, as a movie, it's, uh, some good, strong performances. I, uh, I always think it's kind of funny, you know, 70 days isn't that long. So, but thinking about like everybody keeping their hair and their facial hair the same as when they're, you know, went into hiding kind of amuses me a little bit. It's like, when you like shave your mustache or something or try to change your look, I don't know. Maybe you yeah. don't, don't want to seem too suspicious, but they did make the comment about, you know, needing to look exactly like their passport. So I don't know if those pictures were taken before based off what they had before they came into the country or. Yeah. Or what, but yeah. And as far as performances go, man, so this is the second week in a row where we've just had so many great character actors in one movie. Yeah. Every time we go into a different room, there's at least a character, one character actor I love in that room. Yeah. I I still remember seeing the trailer for it on Good Morning America in like May of 2012 and thinking, holy shit, this looks great. Right. I mean, as Zach pointed out, we had gone baby gone to the town before this. So I was like, I was now in the pocket of director Ben Affleck. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like you mentioned Alan Arkin, he's he's great. <laughs> Brian Cranston's really strong. John Goodman, you know, reliable as always. Yeah. Um, Tate Donovan showing up as one of the hostages or one of the the consulate hiding in the yeah the, the Canadian consulate. Little Tate Donovan. Yeah, I love whenever he pops up in something. I do too. He has a great face, and and he's very chameleon like. Mm-hmm. Like often I'll see him in multiple films and not realize I watched Tate Donovan until the credits. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I always forget he is the voice of Hercules. I'm looking at that. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, he was uh, Misha Barton's dad on the OC. Mm-hmm. He was the owner of the Troubadour in Rocket Man. Yeah, he sure was. Ooh. So, yeah. And again, it's you'd have to be a film buff to realize you're watching the same guy. Just about. Yeah. And of course, you know, we've got Philip Baker Hall in there for a minute who just passed. Yeah. yeah. You know something, Zach? I was checking the credits and I couldn't find his name. Uncredited, it says on this cast list here. Which doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you market Philip Baker Hall? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's like the Bagger Vance with Jack Lemon. Except, yeah. you know. This he didn't die after this movie. Okay. <laughs> I'll take I mean, him another decade from, for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it happens from time to time where you get uncredited cameos, but doubling back to like May when I saw the trailer on GMA, Philip Baker Hall was in it. So I was expecting to see him get like above the title credit along with Argan and Goodman and Affleck and um, uh, Brian Cranston. Kyle Richard Chandler's Kine had him. another good had a good moment. Oh, Richard Kine being in this is just a coup, man. That he, guy. Yeah, he he steals <laughs> every scene he's in in every movie he does. Yeah, I loved him in Sharknado too. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Uh, Kyle Chandler pops up. Uh, guy I've been a big fan of for a long time. Yeah, he's good. Love early edition. Of course, my beloved Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. So, so Paul, what did you think of the film the first time you saw it? So I, I was enthralled by this film. I, I loved it. I was taken by it. The, the whole like chase scene down the runway at the end, I thought was very well edited and very tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think Affleck's a very good director. Yeah, and uh, even. Even like the lead up of this, where there was a lot of criticism about his changing of facts, didn't really didn't really hamper my enjoyment of the film. It's it like, all right, so this is just a fun story. It's a good story, and you know he he goes out of his way to not defend too much the fact that a lot of this is kind of played up and rearranged and timelines messed with because it's like, look, I'm, I'm just trying to tell a, a really good story mm-hmm. and I'm trying to keep a tight timeline and I'm trying to make a thrilling picture. Yeah. I, I just want people to enjoy themselves in a movie theater. And while it is pretty populous, it's just a good time. It's a fun movie to watch. Yeah. It, it has zippy dialogue and you talk about the people in a room. You always see somebody you like. Um, he does a good job of building suspense and breaking the tension, you know, Mm. like with the recurring punchline of Argo, fuck yourself, which gets funnier each time. It really does. (laughs) I have some quotes here. It doesn't need to be a good movie. It just needs to be set in desert. I'm going to be making a fake movie. It's going to be a fake hit. There are only bad options. It's about finding the best one. I yeah, but with the Argo fuck yourself line, I, I love how it builds and builds until the very end when he gets that last one out where he's like, So the woman tells me that uh you know, what happened to your picture and all this and I'm like, Argo fuck yourself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the way he's been talking to everybody else in the movie, you have no doubt that that's exactly how the conversation went down. Yeah. So yeah, I the I was so tense I um during most of this movie because I didn't look up anything and I couldn't remember if they actually you know like made it out alive or if they're like gonna get murdered at the airport or something. It, um, yeah. So, it's, um. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the one uh one kind of criticism I have of the film is the lead up to that uh runway chase. There are so many of the just like last minute uh escapes and you know it's it's a hollywood device or whatever and it seems um like it takes away some of the believability of the situation like like everything would happen quite as fast like they would get approval from the white house that quick to actually like get tickets to approve in iran that fast but you know like you said it's the timeline and it's a film it's condensing yeah. Real life events. But and apparently, you, go ahead. I was going to say, apparently, the real life event was that they just walked into the airport and got on a plane because there, <laughs> there were no guards at the airport because it was 5 30 in the morning. Oh. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> when, not, that's not really a thrilling co- conclusion to a, to a real like 
pulse pounding thriller. Like, yeah, that's true. I um, when I was seventeen years old, we had a class. Uh, Spanish students took a trip to Mexico, and I had forgotten to get the educational tour signature for my parents. So, um, I kind of I got the airport tension because. We had to fax the signature from the school because I got school <laughs> signature, but not the educational <laughs> tour signature, which was the trip package. And I was going to be detained in Chicago. Um, and I actually do remember Air O'Hare Airport personnel running around trying to get it faxed. And we did get it faxed just in time for me to get in the gate. So oh. I did actually buy, I ate it up when I was watching that scene. Yeah. Thinking, yes, this is real life. <laughs> I live this. Awesome. Hey, there's, there's way worse airports to be detained in than O'Hare. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I would have felt guilty because the vice principal was one of the chaperones and she would have had to have stayed behind with me. But it was like that where it had to get kind of faxed or telex or whatever they called it in 7980. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking, yeah, that reminds me of that experience of not having internet exactly, but having something like facts. I was on a journalism uh, conference back when I was in college in 2011 and we got, uh, stuck in the Orlando airport. Um, flight was canceled because of, uh, weather and we were like, oh, we're going to have to sleep like out in the hallway or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I called in a favor from my mom. I was like, "Mom, the school will reimburse you. Can I use your credit card to get some hotel rooms?" And it worked yep. out. It worked out. So Thank we you, all mom. buy the airport excitement in Argo because we've all got our own airport airline stories. Yes. Any anything else we want to bring up? I'll just say at this point in his career, I really liked Ben Affleck. Um, Here's my notes. He was the type of guy who was a punching bag in my college classes, like circa 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. My geography landforms classmate, Matt, called him Ben Asflack. And <laughs> he'd come a long way back from Pearl Harbor and Daredevil. And, and like you said, Paul, he had proven himself as an accomplished director by 2012. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if either of you watched Robert Wool's HBO special where he was going through the like some of the history of America. Uh-uh. And he comes to he comes to this point about John Ford. And I can't remember how he got there, but that's not important. Um he comes to this point about John Ford and he's like, and I mean, you know who John Ford is? Orson Welles once said, if you want to look at the math if you want to look at the best in film, look at the masters. And by that I mean John Ford, John Ford, and John Ford. Mm-hmm. And every all these college students are staring at him like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, the man has four Oscars. But I mean, Ben Affleck has an Oscar, so, you know, that it can't mean that much. That just kind of shows you where he was in public perception that this guy who won an Oscar for an amazing film that he wrote. Mm-hmm. People are still willing to shit on him because he was in a couple of bad movies. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's that. I mean, plus the whole uh, this public dating life, and that shouldn't matter anything. But you know, the tabloids mm-hmm. and crap, and people just whatever. Yeah. But I mean, is that was there a concerted effort against him getting a nomination? Like, is it just the Academy being douchey again, or 
I think so. And I, I think that continuously happens to Ben Affleck. I think it happened to Ben Affleck this year with The Last Duel. He should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor mm. easily. He, he's one of the best things about that movie. You know what I really like that he did Live By Night? And that dropped mm. out of sight. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. I, I think there's a lot of times where the Academy was like, all right, we anointed you and you went on and you did Gigli. So you, you don't get much more recognition. All right. Well, you made a pretty good movie in Argo. So we'll, we'll give George Clooney an Oscar. And because you're one of the guys who produced it, I guess you get one too. Is it's really how it feels. Yeah. It's like, we like George Clooney. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, well, I, I I don't know. You're you're right, Paul. And he had the town, and he had Gone Baby Gone leading up to it. So Argo really should have been the moment he was anointed. Like he's arrived. Yeah, and and I'm I'm not saying specifically that I think he should have won Best Picture, but I think if you're considering Argo enough as one of the best pictures of the year, why wasn't he in the category? I don't know. I like these five directors better. <laughs> it's a tough call it's a really tough call sure okay i will say it probably affected his golden globe win for best director because the oscar nominations came out before the globes Mm -hmm. so he swept it there which broke open the director race so i will say it was really exciting watching because we're wondering who the hell is going to win this i like the the table read for the movie Argo was well juxtaposed with the footage of the hostages in the basement of the yes. U.S. consulate in Tehran. Um, yeah. And my dad had told me about how several of the hostages suffered mental illness following the attack. And yeah, sure. it, yeah so, I mean, I again, I'd have stuck around for another 30 minutes to see footage of the hostages in the, in the consulate. So um, it, it, it was a really well done scene that had the comedy and the drama well-balanced one didn't distract from the other and like with apollo 13 which i also rewatched recently it punctuated not distracted with the comic relief it it was well positioned and a lot of that goes to chris terrio the screenwriter and i'm you know and it's really funny to to get that juxtaposition where we're seeing the bureaucratic nature of both hollywood filmmaking and government uh, foreign relations. That's a good point, Paul. And and how those two things are way more alike than you want them to be. <laughs> You're not wrong. And how you kind of have to go rogue and do things your own way sometimes. Yeah, which I mean. Means going through the red light at 3 a.m. It's, it's how many times while doing drinking age movies did... Did I say the phrase and nobody wanted to make this except this one person? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and nobody wanted to rescue these hostages this way except this one person. And I guess we just get the hindsight of knowing it worked. Yeah, it did. But then also you get the hindsight of like Will Smith saying he doesn't want to be in the Matrix. And everybody's like, why would you turn down the Matrix in 1997? Why would you pick up the Matrix? (laughs) Why why is that a movie you would look at and go, yeah, this is going to work. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, yeah, bureaucracy. It ruins everything. 
It does. It does. All right. Zach, you want to give us a little Razzie breakdown? Razzie breakdown. It's, you know, they've had the trend of pooping on these Twilight movies. And again, worst picture goes to Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. That's boring. Somehow beating the Oogle Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure. Oh. One of the lowest grossing movies of all time. Cool. Worst actor goes to Adam Sandler in That's My Boy, which is That's a terrible film. Terrible film. Worst actress goes to Kristen Stewart uh, for a combination of things, including Twilight. Uh, worst, worst supporting actor goes to Taylor Lautner mm, Twilight. Worst supporting actress goes to Rihanna in Battleship. I forgot all about Battleship. That's actually kind of a deserved. Mm. She is. I don't know. She's not an actress, but she has way too much to do in that movie for being as bad as she is. Gotcha. Where screen couple goes to Mackenzie Foy and Taylor Lautner in Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. Hey, they actually picked two people this time. They did. Uh, thankfully, uh, they didn't award it to Tyler Perry and his drag getup in Medea's Witness Protection. That's, that's, okay. that's, that's a not, joke. Yeah, that's not even a couple. Also, um, Medea movies are great. Mm, I am. I'm not a fan, but I won't crap on them. <laughs> um, worst prequel remake ripoff or sequel goes to Twilight Saga. Worst director Bill Condon for Twilight Saga. Worst screenplay goes to That's My Boy, written by David Casp. Casp. Yeah. Um, and then worst on screen ensemble, the entire cast of Twilight Saga. What a boring Razzies. What a very boring Razzies. Let's. Oh, I can't wait till those are done being released so we don't have to keep hearing the yep. shit all over this franchise. Is that what is the last one? Is there one more? Uh what well, you said Breaking Dawn, so we still have that was Breaking Dawn we part already have, two. Oh, that's Breaking Dawn part two. Okay, so we are. We're done. Yay. Yay. All right. I don't really know the timeline. I'm I'm not saying I'm a huge fan of those movies or anything, but yeah, there's no reason for it to be sweeping the Razzies when you got That's My Boy and Battleship and stuff like that in there. Yeah, it's it's this it's this idea and you know, shitting on Adam Sandler is not that fun either. Uh, but it's this idea that things that girls like are icky and gross and yeah. they, they need to be taken down a peg for liking things that us boys don't don't like. And that's just yeah. such a boring mentality. Yep. I find it boring. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our worsty judgments. All right, Greg, we're going to throw a couple questions at you. Sure. All right. You've been here before, so you no surprise. Uh, our first question, did this deserve best picture? Hot take. Yes. Ooh. Nice. Do you care to expand on that? Uh, it makes Hollywood look like the good guy. I can see why it won. I mean, the rational part of me could see why. Um, I can, it was, I'm not surprised that it did win Best Picture for that reason. It does, it uses the backslapping the fly-by-night grifter culture of Hollywood as a backdrop for a heroic exfiltration operation. Um, but that being said, I appreciated the production design showing Hollywood in a state of decay by the late 70s. Um, 
And I, you know, I loved Apollo 13 when I saw it when I was 13. And this reminded me of that, of covering a historical event and portraying it as happening in the moment. And you actually caught up in wondering whether things are going to turn out all right, because the film conveys that same sense of suspense as the country was feeling between November 4th, 1979 and January 27, 1980. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the part of me, the, the 13-year-old boy in me that loved Apollo 13 was why I embraced <laughs> Argo. So, yes, I know that's a hot take, and I invite uh, dialogue. Excellent. I like that. Thank you very much. Zach, did this deserve Best Picture? I was sad that I didn't have more time to watch the two nominees that I haven't seen, which are <laughs> two movies I've been wanting to watch, and their reputation leads me to believe they are going to be very good, which are Amour and Beast of the Southern Wild. Mm. Amour is just one I know I have to prepare myself emotionally for. Um, yep. So it, I haven't been in that <laughs> mood. That's it's, okay. Yeah, I can't, I cannot blame you, but yeah, it's Haneke. You're you're in for not yeah. happiness. But I own both those movies. I've got copies of them on my shelf. I'm going to watch them when there's time. But ranking the others, I'm um bottom of the pile is Les Mis. I hate that movie. It's terrible. I I'd, I'd never really liked the play until I actually saw a rendition at uh Chrysler Hall in Norfolk. So shout out to that version for finally touching me in a way that no other version of Les Mis ever had. I still hate the movie. Um, show, show me on, <laughs> I fell asleep. Show me on the baby Yoda where it touched you. Uh, <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> with a with a spiked bat. It, um, it was a slow film and it, 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 I fell asleep. Yeah. I, you know, I'm all, I won't harp too much, but I'm just not a fan of complete uh, all singing musicals, um, especially when a large number of the cast isn't very good at singing. <laughs> Anne Hathaway's fine. Uh, she was good, uh, but she's just in the, I don't know. Most of it seemed to be for her singing and looking sad. Uh, next, I'll give it, uh, next ranked is Silver Lining Playbook, which I like, but I think was a little overrated. Um, and then Lincoln, which is a great film, uh, zero dark 30. I am partial to because it's got my girl in it and, and I think it's a very, also a very thrilling and well-made political intrigue type film. Uh, next I got life of Pi, and then top of the pile. I've got Django Unchained just because. Uh, that's who I am. And that movie uh, left me both riveted and uncomfortable as I was leaving the film in good ways. Um, to rank Argo, I would slide it in at number five between Lincoln and Silver Linings Playbook. I don't necessarily think it deserved Best Picture. I probably would have gone Life of Pi, to be honest. Uh, but I think there were snubs with the master moonrise kingdom and uh francis ha uh mm-hmm. okay. also i'm going to give a shout out to seven psychopaths not an oscar movie but it's great well martin mcdonough i remember seeing in bruges and thinking yeah. this is oscar worthy mm-hmm. and it came out in february so it was virtually forgotten about by it, it got nominated for screenplay thank you paul Excellent. it did get Excellent. that i'll grant you that 
Yep. But, so, yeah. so my long answer is um, no. I don't. I don't dislike it, but I, I'm going to say no. It didn't deserve. Paul. Okay. I'm going to do something. Okay. That I I haven't done. Oh. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna rank off the the movies that aren't in my top twenty for the year. Okay. And then okay. I'm going then I'm going to read you my top twenty for 2012. Yay. Okay. Good. Okay. So the there are three of these nominees that aren't in my top twenty. Okay. Number nine. Lay <laughs> Mids. Yeah. This movie sucks. <laughs> the thing I the thing I dislike about this movie the most is the cinematography. Tom Hooper is bad at cinematography. Hmm. He's bad at picking shots and framing things the way they need to be framed. Yeah. And I understand that they're doing live singing on this and not like singing to tracks like most musicals do, which is a mistake in itself. Um, but I guess somebody had to test it out. But the problem that it leads to is that this entire movie that's an ensemble movie is all done in close-ups. And I fucking hate it. Yeah. Also, I don't really like the play. So that's me. It is not amongst my favorite musicals. And I love musicals where they're practically operas. Because I love opera. Uh, my number eight is Silver Linings Playbook. It was cute. I It would probably be like if i were to rank it in the hundred something films i watched this year it would probably be in my 30s gotcha uh and then my number seven is a more a film i like and is probably sitting just outside of my 20 okay like probably 23 or 24 all right so here's my top 20 from uh february 1st 2013 my top okay. 20 of 2012 well 21 because I ended up seeing one movie before I finished the article, and I didn't feel like leaving Wreck-It Ralph out of the article. Hell yeah. So Wreck-It well, Ralph. so good. Wreck-It Ralph is my number 21. That's Beautiful. fine. Yep. All right. 20. Ryan Johnson's Looper. Incredible. Ooh. Number 19. Perfect Sense. Starting. I know that one. Ewan McGregor and Eva Green, where oh. the world starts losing their senses one by one, and there are two people falling in love at the end of, uh, as everything stops making uh, sense. Okay. Number 18, The Avengers. Okay. I don't know if that would be in my top 20 today. Mm. Uh, number 17, The Raid Redemption. Oh, hell yeah. One of the, one of the finest films ever made. Uh, my number 16, I just went ahead and put these two as a tie because why not? The Secret World of Arietti and Brave. Wonderful. Good choices, Paul. I would probably move the rate up above them. Hmm. Uh, probably a few more of these two. Uh, number 15, The Sessions with Helen Hunt and John Hawks. Oh, yeah. A film I really enjoyed. Number 14, because I love cuteness. The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. That's oh, fair. That that's a good one. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> Number 13, Paranorman. Oh, yeah. Such a good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 12, that would not be in my top 20 today because I rewatched it recently and it's not as good as I remembered. Uh, Flight. Oh, okay. Didn't quite get to the end of it, but it was compelling. And again, right. with John Goodman. Yeah. Uh, all right. So. As you've noticed, I haven't 
rehashed any of the other nominees because they're all in my top 11. Okay. Starting with my number 11, Argo. Okay. Argo okay. is my number 11 of the year in 2013. Uh, number 10, the Duplass brothers, Jeff, who lives at home. Uh, number nine, the Dark Knight Rises. And in this, I say it probably isn't a top 10 movie, but I saw it five times in the theaters, and that must count for something. Yeah. I love The Dark Knight Rises still. I think it is a really good movie, but uh, Dark Knight was my favorite film of 2008, so that tells you how this is stepped down. Right. Number eight, Life of Pi. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number seven, Skyfall. Skyfall. Number six, Django Unchained. Django. Number five, Moonrise Kingdom. Number four, and I really want to rewatch this film to see if it stays this high, Zero Dark Thirty. Number three, the beautiful film that inspired my, uh, my dish for the Oscar party this year, Beasts of the Southern Wild. We made Beasts of the Southern Fried Chicken. Okay. It was delicious. Good. That's cool. Beast of the Southern Wild is one of the most beautiful films ever made. Uh, my number two, Seven Psychopaths. Brilliant film. And my number one film of the year, and it deserved best picture, Lincoln. Lincoln. Okay. One of Spielberg's best films. Nice. Uh, but, so going back to the question, does Argo deserve best picture? I always say if it's in my top 20, I'm okay with it winning. Nice. So sure. Why not? (laughs) So I got a question for you. Uh, Are you a fan of uh, the master or did you see it later or did you, I ended up seeing it later because it didn't show anywhere in the quad cities. Uh, The master would probably, um, you know what? Uh, I think on this list, depending on where, if I ever rewatch zero dark 30 and how that falls, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it at four for right now. I'm pretty sure that this, most of this list stays the way it is. The master would probably go at my number nine. Cool. So that would, that would push Argo down to 12, but it's still in my top 10. Yep. Yeah. I love the master. I rewatched it uh, near the beginning of the COVID lockdowns. I watched everything that, um, PTA yeah. yeah directed like every single one of his films and I had never seen then Hard Eight was the only one I hadn't seen going mm. into that rewatch. Mm-hmm. So uh I still need to do that. Hard Eight is the only one I still haven't seen. You know, I, I wish I would have thought of this because like like two weeks ago I had a post that was just my ranking of Paul Thomas Anderson's film. I can tell you how it sits on his rankings, but I'm pretty sure There Will Be Blood was my number one because it's uh, yep. the goddamn masterpiece of masterpieces. Yep. <laughs> so cool. There we go. So yes, why not? All right, Greg. Our second question. Yeah. Is this the worst best picture? No, no, definitely not. In my opinion, it was too entertaining. Good. It was Good. more entertaining than I expect the best picture nominee to be. To the point where I was surprised it won best picture because it was such a crowd pleaser. Yeah. yeah real, real popular film. All right. Zach, is this the worst best picture? No. I I thought it was very good, very solid. I gave it four stars. 
and I have it ranked at my number 37. Oh, nice. So, you know, is a, that's a little above middle of the pack. Um, I don't, I don't know that it's a, you know, a lasting masterpiece or anything, but it's a very good film and tells an important story. As for me, I don't know. I don't think this is the worst, best picture. Um, we, we didn't talk at all about Ben Affleck whitewashing, uh, the character of Tony Mendez. Oh, uh, which, which Tony himself said he was fine with, but, uh, as, as far as that goes, I mean, who wouldn't want themselves being played by someone as handsome as Ben Affleck, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm fine. If Tony's fine with it, I'm ultimately fine with it. But at the same time, it still takes, it still takes a, a role away from a Latin yeah, actor that could yeah. have played him. Uh, and we don't have enough Latin leads. So let's, let's not take roles from them. Ben Affleck. Right. Yep. But, but it is like, uh, I have to dock it enough for that. I also gave it four stars. The whole yeah, yeah, I, I gave it four stars as well. Um, I guess rewatching it, Affleck has tall, dark, handsome looks. He's almost, almost Latin passing, but he's not Hispanic. So yeah, you're right. Valid point. And I remember seeing the real Tony Mendez interviewed on the morning shows circa 2012. And yeah, um, he's a Hispanic man. Yep. So there it uh, is. So this is sitting at my number 49. It's a film okay. I, I really enjoy. Uh, it's not at the bottom of my... It's closer to the bottom of my four stars. No, that's four star. That's four star. That's four star. Okay, so it's kind of in... Oh, no, it's kind of at the top of my four stars. The other... The four stars I have above it are uh, Titanic at 46, Wings at 47, and Braveheart at 48. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's near the top of my four stars, too. You just have some more... It's more fives and four and a halfs than I do, as yeah. we as we talk about sometimes. Because you love film, I do. I love it so much. I'm gonna marry it one day. Indeed, I do. I do wish I had seen it on the big screen. Like I think the lesson learned is if you want to see a movie on the big screen, just take yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I always say if a, if a film is important enough, I will find time for it. Yep, and I should have. I'll be going to see Thor four on Sunday. <laughs> oh, yeah, I will too. Actually, my friend Phil Cop and I are going to go see it after our matinee of Cinderella. Sweet. Excellent. So I will. I will be happy to. Uh, you'll see me on Twitter talking about that. Nice. I'm probably I look forward to it. I want to try to watch uh, the Multiverse of Madness finally, uh, since I can watch it at home now. Uh, sure. Good old, good old Mom Strange. I uh, I did see uh, Taika Waititi on. Stephen Colbert earlier this week, and he showed the naked picture of Chris Hemsworth. Like that was a draw for the movie. And I almost wanted to be like, go see Rush. Right. If you want to see naked Chris Hemsworth, he's brilliant in Rush. I just want to point that out, that that movie made 13 million in its opening weekend in 2013. And it's great. (laughs) I do like some Daniel Brule. Yes. Thank you. I want to be your good friend, Paul. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. As I show my rush poster. Go for it. <laughs> Back there behind me falling down. I like it. It's 
It's the band Rush, not the no, movie. No, that's so, fine too. So that's way worse. 2013 <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nom, uh, inductees. Look, the Hall of Fame means nothing to me because Weird Al <laughs> still isn't in. So okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna call it there. Uh, Greg, thank you for joining us this evening. I always enjoy being invited onto this show. Uh, you guys got me through a really hard 5K this past Monday. I did the firecracker run in East Moline, Illinois, and I had your discussion about The Departed and Oscars for 06, and uh, oh, nice. thank you. Thank you. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. So there you, there you go, everybody. Listen to us while you're physically exerting yourself beyond belief. Indeed. All right. So, Greg, where can people find you on the media social? Sure. I have livejournal.com backslash Spanish Greg. Gregory O'Neill on Facebook, where from time to time I bring up movies. I am uh, QC Greg on Twitter, and I'm Spanish Greg on Letterboxd, which I need to be a little bit better at updating. So, uh, but yeah, that's where I've learned that it's a lot of fun to post movie reviews. Indeed it is. Yes. All right, Zach, where can people find you? Find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, TikTok at House Havoc, Letterboxd by searching my name, and then there's Mr. Paul. And then there is me. And you can find me, at Father of the Fear, across the platforms of Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where I'm keeping a running tally of all the films I have watched. And this week... Uh, did I watch it? Oh, I watched the uh, Disney Plus original film Rise, which is a good film and a sweet and passion plea to stop referring to people as illegals. It is the most ridiculous thing in the world that a human being could be illegal. Right. Agreed. And I hate it and I don't like it. And uh, political borders are bullshit. So that's me. Uh, so uh, with that, we'll, what are we watching next week, Zach? On that fun, wonderful note about terrible political shit, we're watching 12 Years a Slave, God which you can <laughs> which you can rent on Amazon, Google, YouTube, or stream on HBO Max. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh at least we'll have another we'll have another guest on, so that'll be nice. That will be nice. I'm just, yeah. I'm not, I I don't know if I'm ready for that shit right now. Oh, I understand, Paul. Lupita Nyong'o, like uh, I'll give away a whole lot of my feelings right now. Her fucking performance that movie ripped my soul out of my chest in a movie theater. But we'll get to that next week, I guess. Yup. Fuck, fuck. All right. We would like to thank. Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up from Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and on Facebook at The Oscorsity Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. And if you don't give us five stars... You know what I'm going to say. You can Argo fuck yourself. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Ah, uh, yes. So, for Gregory O'Neill, our best friend Jonathan, who couldn't be with us this week, Zachary McCoy, and 
Victor Garber. Holy fuck, we didn't talk about Victor Garber at all in this episode. The original John Wilkes Booth from Assassins. We would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs> <laughs>